Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Alexa Lazauchuk for DLC for Horizon Forbidden West called Burning Shores. The music is largely orchestral. Of course, there are synth elements in there to reflect all the technology that is a part of the story in the game. Two singers are in the uh, soundtrack representing the main characters and cellist Blair Lofgren is heard throughout the soundtrack, as is often the case with Alexa's music. Alexa and I talk about the two singers, Julie Elvin and Melissa Kaplan, and of course we talk about Alexa's compositional process and how he works through projects like this musically. Uh, Check us out over on YouTube. We're kind of close to monetization, which uh, could could be helpful, so please uh, check out our YouTube channel and the content over there. That would be amazing. Join us on Discord. That link is down in the show notes, and if you can support us financially, we'd be so grateful. Check us out over at patreon.com slash level. All right, here is Alexa Lazauchuk talking about the Horizon Forbidden West DLC, Burning Shores. Uh, it's called uh, Burning Shores. It takes place in kind of a um, LA that's falling apart, I guess is one way of describing it um i don't want to dive too much into the actual kind of the backstory and lore just because um i, I don't want to not do justice to the storylines and everything going on but from a from a compositional point of view um is basically there's a new character who aloy is uh has to do missions with and interacting there's obviously challenges there's you know bigger bigger crazier creatures that they have to kind of engage with um and for me it was just continuing kind of extending what what we did in the mainline game um but giving it a little bit of a unique twist um a bit more epic i guess is one way to describe it in terms of you know some of the battle music was more um uh grand i guess and 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 scale wise just felt different because of the nature of some of the battles that took place at least mm. for my keys that i did um and then melodically wanted to be something that could kind of um and harmonically be something where it, it felt like it was just it dovetailed nicely with the main line but it felt like it was a part two or kind of like a a side journey but that still had a lot of depth and a lot of heart and emotion to it um so even from like the main, what people have called the Burning Shores theme, um, the To the Burning Shores, which is what I wrote originally as a piece called something about Hollywood, but it was basically, they wanted me to write music for the Hollywood setting. Um, and it had kind of a, uh, you know, it was the second half of that piece. And then when we ended up doing, I did, I think three trailers, um, two or three trailers and and it, it was like yeah the dev team just keeps listening to this and this is the hook that they really like and so i ended up kind of um when it came time to do the trailers kind of rebuilt it out of this section that the dev team kind of felt was no that's the hook we keep on feeling like very simple but also it mm-hmm. kind of has this longing to it it has this um there's still that emotional hook for Aloy, right? In terms of the journey that she was on and what where she needs to go. Um, 
yeah, so that in a nutshell for me, it was just continuing what we had started with the first one, but just almost extending the, if the depth was, was this much, kind of like going a bit more like this and then a <laughs> bit more breadth, a bit more breadth to it, you know? You know, you mentioned the other character, which is why there are two female voices, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A huge part uh, of this. So, um, you know, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about those those two uh, women right now, Julie Elvin and Melissa Kaplan. Melissa Kaplan, of course, I've been a fan girl of since Jesper Kidd's Assassin's Creed. I mean, that's she's the voice of that, you know, and um, uh, there's just this purity this almost like that English choral tradition quality that I hear in her voice. It's just so, um, you know, little to no vibrato and just pure, right? It's just this tone. I absolutely love it. And of course, Julie's voice is absolutely gorgeous too. So um, talk to me about working with them and, you know, integrating that into into the score so heavily. You know, um, well, I love working with both of them. They're they're awesome in their own way. Um, I had worked with Melissa for many years on different projects. Um, when I was work- at Capcom working on Dead Rising stuff, um, mm-hmm. we did a, we did like a, the coldest time of year. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. She's great. She's such a versatile singer in so many styles. She can do crazy vibrato as well, but um, I find her voice, there's a purity, like you mentioned, there's a purity in her voice, which really cuts through um, in mixes. Like, forget about the arrangements and the songs. Like, in mixes, she's just so easy to work with because her voice Mm -hmm. just soars, right? Um, In in a unique way, it's kind of like it has, like, even if she's, like, pushing notes very strong, they're still very... um, focused right like you think of high frequencies the higher Mm -hmm. you go the more focused they are and you can kind of pinpoint where they are it's the same thing with her voice um it's Mm -hmm. a very it's a very peculiar voice and it's very like um when you hear it it can just like cut through a mix and cut through to get to you right away so Mm -hmm. i ended up using her on there was a uh, a horus type beast i guess um I don't even know what you call it, but it's basically an enemy that you battle in a game, which is still kind of um, larger than life and beautiful, but also still kind of like, um, you know, a challenging uh, enemy that you have to overcome. And we just needed something that had more of an epic feel to it. Um, And they had referenced, uh, you know, some of the Dune soundtrack and some of the other things trying to find tracks that are like, oh, you know, how, how can we have something that's kind of soars and feels larger than life, but it still doesn't feel totally disconnected from the sound we were building with Horizon. And so, although Melissa worked on the mainline game, uh, kind of being the voice of, uh, I can't remember the name of the official name of her sister. Uh, okay. Do you remember the name of this? Aloy's sister, half-sister or whatever you call it. 
um, uh, can't, maybe it was Echo or Beta or Beta. I think that's what it was. Beta. And um, so she represented her voice in the mainline game. And when it came time to do these tracks, I was like, um, the kind of music that 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 required, Julie's voice didn't really fit because she's got more of a uh, a lower um, alt, a very rich alto voice, mm-hmm. and her falsetto her falsetto is great, but it requires a lot of not a lot of density underneath. It has to have mm. kind of room for her voice to kind of float. Um, okay. and it becomes the primary thing that you focus on. Whereas Melissa's, I was like, I knew I could have a dense mix of this crazy mm. battle with lots of space and her voice would just like, like razor sharp, just be like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like, a, like, uh, you know, F 35 flying through the air and it just cuts <laughs> right through everything. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't canon-wise, it probably is a little confusing to have Melissa's voice on it from a, if you're really, you know, deep deep cuts nerding out, but it was more just like, I considered, I consider them just like part of the palette, you know, the horizon palette that you could draw on and use. Whereas Julie's role on this one um, was really about the, the the personal story on Aloy and her kind of um, romantic interest as well, and and the um, conveying Aloy's inner world um, mm. and really taking the time to um, um, even for Julie actually writing this piece for her was very interesting. Uh, th- there was a cue called the idea of home. Um, it was really about trying to peel back all the different layers uh, that Aloy would be feeling in terms of all the emotions she was going through, um, particularly as a stoic character who had never really expressed her emotions um, right. in such a way at all. Um, you know, that that process in itself is um, requires a lot of nuance, a lot of delicacy, a lot of... And so even working with Julie, it was like exploring like, okay, well, what, what are the different timbres that exp- not, not just melodically or harmonically, but even texturally, like what are the different timbres that can come out to convey this, all this range of emotions and nuance that we need to convey uh, and stuff. And then for the, to, to the burning shores, of course, we use Julie's voice kind of being the, you know, the voice of Aloy as she's, you know, soars above Hollywood and, and kind of repeats that leitmotif over and over again. It's awesome working with like the, those female singers. They're they're just super easy to work with. They love they love having a challenge, which is also amazing. Like yeah. with Melissa, I'm like, 
can I push her high, like color to her even higher and higher and higher? <laughs> and with Julie, it's funny. We spend time because she also does uh, therapy, like uh, I think it's voice therapy or other things. She helps different clients. Okay. Not aside from her singing career. And so mm-hmm. with her, we're like, we're breaking down phonemes and we're breaking down like actual, like, you know, this syllable and how it rolls off the tongue and the timing of things. So it's a very... It's very interesting how I, I try to tailor the writing to what they are interested in, and I'll try to sure. bring out the best out of them. Um, instead of just writing lines and being, okay, play this melody, it's like, okay, no, I'm going to write it for you because you're the mm-hmm. instrument, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's what needs to come out. Yeah, I mean, you said a bunch of things there that uh, that I kind of have notes about in various ways. Uh, there is a, a battle track on, you know, on Burning Shores called Steel Snare. I assume it's a battle track, and, and this is... Melissa singing and is this the combat track you were talking about just then about how dense it is yeah it's amazing yeah I mean that's a battle track and that is um there's multiple stages for this Horus kind of creature in the game okay and um one of the phases of the battle um is I believe that's what it was used for um is um yeah it's actually that one now that I think of it, I think that is the ending. <laughs> yeah, that's the very last one. That's the very last battle when you're fight, fighting the horror. So you've done two oh, okay. sections of the battle beforehand, and then it's kind of the culmination of it. We changed the order of it on the soundtrack just because it felt like the flow sure. made more sense and sure. stuff. But, yeah. Um, yeah. but there's an example of a super dense arrangement mm-hmm. with a lot of like, I call it like Marco Polo, but it's basically you have a melody and then you have a counter melody and then you have a, a new version of the melody with something else. Yeah. And somewhere in between there, she needs to cut through the mix and kind of like <laughs> still be like, Hey, I'm here. Right. right. Um, and so again, you hear, you know, I always know that I can, you know, she has uh, like, a, I can't remember how, how many octave range, but it's still like, it's usable notes. You know, sometimes you have a, a range. It's maybe, mm-hmm an octave maybe a bit more than an octave but like with melissa i'm able to actually like have a two octave range sometimes of a melody that that can still be like it you can make sense of it on a laptop or your phone or on a full range speaker system so so this was an example the steel snare was an example where i could you know she could start off being and then she can just go up from there from there (laughs) as high as I want, basically, right? So. Wow. Yeah, I loved that track, and and there, the thing that I loved about it is there, it's not just that there are different layers, but the 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 intensity of the layers. I just liked the variety and the intensity, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're mixing it up, but it's still maintaining this level of you know not panic, but intensity. You know? Yeah, I mean, because it was the final stage of the battle fighting this forest creature. So you, there's a lot of like in the actual gameplay, there was a lot of um foreground background movement right like um 
uh, ranged kind of like shooting that she Aloy had to do from a distance. This beast is giant, and so there's a lot of tumbling, jumping around, shooting that kind of stuff. Where, mm-hmm. um, you know, I tr- try to structure those in terms of musically. I try to structure those in terms of like there's something new every four bars or eight bars or ten bars, and that includes variation on devices that you use to create intensity or to contrast it right so sure um so sometimes it's going from like a that kind of like a a frantic Mm -hmm. feel whether that's with strings or with sound effects or whatever or percussion to other stuff which is more like um you know this big arching legato lines of it's like it's just it's just expanding right so the intensity is not there necessarily with like battle percussion and stuff like that going on but you're you're creating an expectation of tension and release or this like like i can do this like aloy can do this she can beat this this beast and you do that by playing tag right sure you 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 basically just play tag and kind of melodies of hope and then chaos and frantic you know feelings and then melodies of hope or harmonies of hope and you kind of just go back you play ping pong back and forth between those right So, you know, we've talked about the the singers, Julie and um, Melissa, and I'm sure they'll come up again, but uh, we've got to talk about Blair because I hear a lot mm. of cello and I assume that that is Blair Lofgren, who is uh, right. a brother-in-law to you, but uh, also musical muse in some ways. So yes. uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I... Blair was all over Horizon Forbidden West. Um, obviously, we worked together for the last 20 years, so um, it's really just an excuse. Any of these games or films that we work on, it's just an excuse to hang out. And yeah. it's funny because um, when um, when we work on stuff, he's not a gamer. He likes games, but he's not a huge gamer, but he loves... Yeah. He's, he's like, well, what are, what are we working on today? Or what's the backstory today? And, I, <laughs> and so I'm like trying to like set set the story up and set the context up. Um, which is very interesting because at the end of the day, he's a conduit for emotion, um, you know, that we're trying to kind of mirror back to the player as they're playing the game. Um, but ultimately he's also the first audience in terms of like hearing them, reading the material for the first time, um, understanding like, like, you know, pretty quickly, like whether or not something's going to resonate emotionally, right? Because the player, that's literally what they have to do. They have to resonate emotionally to whatever you're giving them. So the process is usually a combination of a couple of things. It's usually like, um, you know, he loves, you know, the melodies of the parts that I give him to play. Or if it's like, we want to do more intense stuff. It's like, okay, well today we're doing like, you know, death metal band on a drop C string, um, <laughs> you know, and a bunch of chug, chug, chug kind of stuff. Um, and then other times it's uh, like on, I think it was Titan's Wake. Yeah, on Titan's Wake, uh, it was so cool. At the beginning of it, the the track, it was um, 
it's basically I was like, okay, Blair, I want you to hold this note, just just this drop D or whatever the key was. And I want you to basically, I'm going to conduct you in real time. You're going to be like a filter. You're going to open up your the shape and the texture and go closer to the bridge. Oh, and basically morph texture back and forth. And we're just going to create a, a, a bed of texture. And mm-hmm. we're going to track you and stack you and split you over a couple of octaves and just build that up. Um, and I would take care of it in post-production after. So that would be an example of like, I would just say you're fighting this beast. This is the first stage of the battle. But it's like the focus is on we want major depth of field. You're in the middle of a canyon. There's this beast far away. And scale is everything. So we're just going to explore scale by virtue of the texture that you give me going louder and softer. And I'm going to conduct. I'm going to open you up. And literally, like, if you go back to the original recording, I think we did it on the first take because he had to go take care of his daughter or something. But it was the perfect take. Wow. And we just recorded it. Created a bed, and I, probably the first two minutes of the track literally were untouched. They just became the 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 the, the rock bed, I guess, mm-hmm. which I built everything else on top. Melissa adding her voice, all the other parts on top of it. But that initial like something's breathing and it has space just came from working with Blair of like performing literally a single note and just kind of breathing, making it larger. So imagine. There wasn't, we didn't have a score. I mean, we had a score, but for that one note, mm-hmm. you just imagine a whole performance of a bunch of hairpins conducting yeah. texture, moving and stuff. So that kind of stuff is interesting because um, you would not get that with a, even if I were to record that with like a professional overdub, you know, cellist, or if we were in London, we were recording something on stage, you just don't get that kind of, texture because you're under the constraints of budget time lots of minutes of stuff to go through so you don't have time to really experiment with a lot of that stuff yeah and our ability to do that in one take comes down to the couple of decades of working together like we have a shorthand (laughs) i don't even have to say anything i just make a gesture do something and we know so um so that would be the the bonus of having that history absolutely absolutely um, you kind of did some of that with him. I feel like in the title track, um, right in the beginning, it sounds like it could potentially be cello just really far away with kind of a thinner texture on it. Can you confirm or deny? So at the very beginning, uh, playing the melody, da, da, yeah. Da, yeah. that's actually, uh, that is actually Drew Dureka, who's also a, a good friend and colleague who played on Horizon Forbidden West. Okay. He actually, um, he does the string arrangements for who's that French popular singer? Um, he's like a Grammy Award winning guy. Um, he's amazing, but he performed that on Hardanger. Uh, oh, fiddle. really? Okay, cool. Yeah. That makes a lot so, more sense. Okay. Yeah, so that wasn't, yeah. Um, but that was interesting in the sense that we, because you have to tune the resonant strings for the hard right. banger fan. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the cases where, um, you know, I think originally when I did the the uh, trailer, it, it uh, originally, I think Ayla was flying, and originally I had it, it was just a uh, nylon guitar that had played that same melody. 
because uh, you hear it in for his amusement and for his amusement about half there's two parts to that track yeah. and the second half is kind of like the building blocks of what went into to the burning shores but when it came time to for the soundtrack and i was trying to give a compilation to uh lucas at gorilla for for the soundtrack i was like you know this is kind of the main theme for burning shores and it felt like it just needed longing for home or longing for something right off the top mm-hmm. and so i ended up basically taking an outtake that drew and i did with hard anger and other stuff and i kind of built an oh. intro to the rest of the piece after yeah. oh nice yeah love that and it's one of those things where you're like when you're listening to it all and you hear the whole piece and you just realize you need to get pe- you need to get people's um you know, the hair on the back of their uh, neck or like you need to have that visceral frisson moment right away. Yeah. You don't want to wait too long. And it felt like that was the quickest way because you have the timbre from the hardanger, which is kind of like mm-hmm. old world feeling. Yep. Yep. Um, and it has a longing plaintiff kind of melody. And it felt like the combo of that with some of the, you know, synth pads and stuff going on, it just felt like a good combo right off the top. And you mentioned uh, For His Amusement. Uh, again, just loved this track. Um, and a lot of cello in there, too. Is he just overdubbing? Is that when there's, like, two cello lines playing? Is that is that him? Yeah. Yeah, so he was just tracking himself. Okay, um, yeah. We, we, I wrote multiple parts, but basically got him to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, again, was more of, like, um, because it's a canon... It's essentially it's a motif that repeats and yes, builds. And yes. Builds. Uh, it felt like it was the right thing. I I could have arranged it for you know traditional string octet or whatnot, but mm-hmm. I find when you start getting arrangements that are quite dense with modern production, that a lot of the voicing that you have in string quintets, quartets, octets, they work great for like a rich, balanced sound, but they don't work great for cutting through as like a, a soaring motif on top of a bed of other production elements. Okay. And it felt like having multiple cellos kind of, it'd be kind of like, you know, if I had a viola da gamba, a cello and something else, they're close in the, in terms of the family, in terms of the range of mm-hmm. the sonority that comes out of it. Um, but they all are kind of like you have, it's like having a trio of, you know, soloists basically yeah, that are get yeah. to interweave. Whereas um, when it's in a quartet or quintet or octet, it's, it's more about like the homogenous sound together that they make. Yep. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just loved that when he would do those duets. I just really, really loved that. And then also in that track for his amusement, this low flute that keeps coming in and, and mm-hmm. stuff. So tell, tell me about that. Cause it's in more than uh, just that track. That is Gareth, um, Gareth uh, McLaren. So he was okay. the he was the uh, f- um, flautist on Horizon Zero Dawn and Her- Horizon okay. Forbidden West. And he's one of the best in the world. I think he was the flautist on Lion King and like oh, yeah, wow. he's okay. kind of like he's first call gotcha. flautist. Um, yeah. He plays every kind of flute known to man. He even has one E flat 
uh, flute. There's only a handful in the world and stuff. Um, um, again, another one of those people who are like, um, you know, you can give him a, uh, score, you can hum a melody, you can change things on the spot and he's in, uh, even improv and he's just, he's just awesome. He's just like, gives it right back to you, but makes it just really beautiful. Can take a single note and make it mean something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the tone is beautiful. And what we do often with those is... um, when we record sessions, um, I'll have him have uh, like say all five flutes, like contrabass flute, bass flute, alto flute, or tenor flute. Or yeah, there's alto. alto. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, concert uh, flute and even a gold one, um, and then mm-hmm. the E flat one, which is more of has is great for like uh, more like not penny whistle style, but like it has a particular character for it. And what we'll do sometimes is I'll track. Um, I'll have my assistant Juliet basically prep um, all the scores because they have different, you know, they read differently um, and we'll record different sections of them. And then when it comes time to, for me to do my post-production or, you know, heading towards final edit and comp and mix, I'll, there's just sometimes when you, you, when you frame up everything, you're, you're like, eh, hearing the same tonality all the way through doesn't work. And it might be just be like a single note that I'll use from like the oh, wow. controversy or something. Oh, cool. Or sometimes I'll get him to be like, Hey, can you just play this, the part, the contrabass part um, that's in the string, low strings, can you just do that, but do it on the contrabass flute and I'll double it. And then it gives, it's, it kind of adds another dimension to low strings where you wouldn't have it, but it's, it's basically, they're playing the same part, they're doubling, um, but it just makes it very interesting because you have Gareth, his ability to change the tonality and with his embouchure and Mm -hmm. his mastery, um, like I said, it just brings a whole different dimension to to what uh, what you can have come out of his mouth. you know one of the i guess defining characteristics of the world of horizon is this kind of you know old modern but with new and and all so there's this juxtaposition of you know spears and bows and arrows but then there's technology so yeah. uh you know those are i think that change is reflected with synth pads and stuff like that so um you know talk about uh when when you choose to put that in or at what at what stage are you um yeah. working with synths then um i mean who doesn't love blade runner right i guess i'll just put that out there <laughs> yeah. um but it, i i would say i think what people love about say blade runner that those kind of uh soundtracks or things that incorporate instruments that make that kind of sound is the 
expression and how uh, how musically expressive they are as mm -hmm. analogs to the real instruments right so um synths for me on horizon forbidden west and on burning shores they pretty much are um there's the juxtaposition preserved between like kind of like a digitalized or virtualized version of organic matter there, there's that dimension for sure and mm -hmm. that often was explored with oscillators, synths, um, arpeggiators, that kind of stuff. Just kind of bring it back to the kind of the the robot world, uh, AI, computers, um, basically artificial intelligence, all that kind of stuff. That it kind of that's what represented that world, and also a lot of the a lot of the devices that Aloy had that she could use in the world, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, on top of that, and I would say in some ways more important to me was that. Um, I chose patches that could have expression, you know, so that it was like, if it was like, I would hold a, I would hold like a, I'd have like a Vangelis kind of pad or a synth, a lead. And I would be like, and I could like literally shape it with the aftertouch and okay. basically treat it like an, treat it like an actual organic instrument, right. Yeah. Where there's expression, um, you know, um, I find those things, they're great ear candy, a eh? people love the ear candy, yeah. but they're also, um, I don't know. They're, they're just an interesting thing. Cause they, they feel like you're trying to just, you're breathing life into something that is, doesn't have innate like or like any kind of, uh, breath in it or any kind of inherent yeah. life in it, but it has the potential. It's just like pregnant with potential. It has this ability to like surprise you, give you randomness. Um, and then, you kind of shape those mistakes or you shape the chaos as it's coming out, right? And you make it musical and then you curate that, right? Like most of the time what people hear on, especially modern um, soundtracks is if there's anything that's been kind of performed to be expressive with those synths, there's probably 40 or a hundred X more material that you've never heard because it takes so much trial and error sure. to find those. But then when you find that one thing that's like 20 seconds of gold or five seconds of gold, you can't reproduce it again. It's very difficult to reproduce, but you end up building kind of scaffolding around it, musical scaffolding around it because that becomes a signature piece for it. So mm -hmm. um, that's the kind of role that I, when I was producing this stuff, I, I was always like, okay, find those sounds that are ex musically expressive. Try to like, take some of the main melodies, break them down into something. Like if you had a melody, like, um, da, 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 you have a repeating note, you know, on a string instrument, you, repeating notes, you can change your bow on a synth that has just the on off. <laughs> it doesn't sound really musical to go. Da, 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 right. So, right. so you kind of simplify parts or figure out where maybe it's like, um, the last note, da, 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 and then the synth comes in on and gives you the yeah. shape that you want. Um, yeah, so it's really more like uh, I think the synths worked as like salt and pepper. They just added the seasoning yeah. um, where it needed to, where it needed to be.
above and below. Uh, another, of course, great track with a mis- another, to me, mystery instrument at the beginning right away, like 26 seconds in or so. So okay, you got to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Guess, what, what do you think it is? I mean, it sounds like some kind of pipes, right? Like you're playing it like it's like some kind of bagpipe, but it's not. I mean, I, right. I, I don't know. Okay, so first of all, I love working this track. Um, it's I a remember, great one. I remember... Um, I was in Palm Springs at the time because I had some meetings in LA. I was relaxing, or I, w- I was working. Um, my wife was relaxing at the time. We were staying at a friend's place. I literally had the laptop that I'm on right now. I got footage from Gorilla of this Sunwing battle, and they were like, "Okay, well, we need music. There's this Sunwing that you're flying, and you die. You fly through the air. There's stuff happening at a distance." And you get to dive into the water and fly out. And then you get to dive into the water and fly out. And it's this battle of going in and out of the water and whatnot. And that, the basically the most of the structure of that piece was I recorded in one take. Most of the stuff I usually like to do is like, I put up the video, I don't watch it. I press record and whatever comes out. So like, I was watching it and um, maybe it was the second take because I took it in for a while, but I just got a feel for it after a while. I was like, this feels like a tuplet piece. Like there's like, I think I literally had like, and, and I built the whole piece and the tempo after that. And then um, that section, I was like, okay, I was like, okay, if we keep on going with this, I'm like, so anyways that is my voice oh it is so, it is my voice and all i did so went through it so it's kind of like uh it's kind of like i don't want to say a jig but it's kind of like uh which is rare also for uh horizon because they don't usually have like those tough kind of pieces kind of more straight but i was like lucas and gorilla has all been been very good to me as they've gotten to know me because they just start trusting my instincts yeah and my instincts on this was just like no this is like i feel a lot closer to how to fly a pet dragon than you know mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. just traditional ailer stuff and i'm like she's on a sun wing diving into the water near the hills of hollywood like this is kick-ass like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's got to be a lot more to this this felt a lot closer to like a god of war feel or like some other games that are more yeah fantasy like mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i was just like okay i'm just gonna go I'm just going to go with it and do it. So my voice, basically, I, I laid the framework for the piece down, uh, built the structure for it, recorded all the parts, and then I was like, ah, I still need something robotic, something to bring yeah. back the world of, like, the facsimile or the digital side. Mm-hmm. And and so I just recorded my voice doing it, and then I ended up proce- processing it kind of, like, through a... There's a plugin called, I think, Little Alter Boy or Alter Boy or oh, something. Yeah. You, can, yeah. you can constrict like things to, you can change the formant and the pitch and you can change it so that it's almost like a robot and it ends up constricting it so it's very, um, it's kind of like auto-tune, but not yep. auto-tune. Yeah. Um, 
but then because I performed it, I could add lilt into it and have like stressors yes. and things that go, and then you add effects on it and kind of couch in the mix and out of the parts and it kind of works. I also love the fact, you know, having it be a compound meter like that with the triplets, like you're so much music about water is, right? And flying too. Yeah. So Absolutely. it like totally, it yeah, it just had to be. Yeah, that's perfect. The other thing too was um, uh, I was playing with at the same time yeah. in this push and pull, but Honestly, the 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 genesis of that piece was watching the video and feeling the cadence of when she dove in the water. Sure. And so the melodies, like literally the first time I just started writing and things came out, it was because that was the natural cadence of like, yep, the melody's gonna flourish about here. And it came out and I didn't change a whole lot. I just curated wow. what I wrote, but I was actually responding to like you know, if I was flying and I was playing this game right now, this mm -hmm. is what I would want to feel. And this is where the melody would crest, right? Yeah. And this is when it would dive back down into yeah. the other thing. Oh, that's so, awesome. so that was really born of the gameplay itself mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. kind of the the perspective of the camera of the game. Yeah. Because, um, and I would say that, that line at 26 seconds I would not come up with that line if I was writing a line on a piece of paper on a score or at a piano or somewhere else. That was really born out of like feeling it. Like a yeah. lot of folk, a lot of folk music is very much you feel it, right? Mm -hmm. You push and pull. Um, you know your accents, what you're, what you're, where you're going, the grace notes that you have, all that kind of stuff is really about feel. And you just, you would never. I would not get that just by trying to mimic it on a on a patch on a keyboard and stuff so The other thing too is you, when you sing it, it forces you to take breaths. Oh yeah. Right. So, so musicians have to breathe, right? Wind and wind so, players, yes, yes. Wind players, but also if you think about like even conductors and like pieces oh, yeah. of music in general, you're always thinking of of shape of like phrases mm -hmm. and when to like tension release. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is one advantage of of. You know, if you always come back to, hey, you got you to be able to hum your melodies. You got to be able to sing your melodies. Yes. You'll always be forced to like make it human and and kind of, okay, our mom sang to us in the womb. There was a certain amount, like a melody lasts about this long for a melody, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Just with using the physical limitations that kind of informed the language that we got used to mm -hmm. hearing. So I kind of view melody the same way too. It's like... It should be something that, um, regardless of the harmonic underpinning or everything else that you do underneath it, you should just be able to hum it or whistle it or sing it, right? Yep, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, someone I once knew, this is, this is really great and also kind of has some really great transitions and changes in it. Um, but it starts in this really dreamlike, almost, almost lazy way, you know, it's just very kind of slides around. And I, I loved that kind of ambiguity to it all. Um, so, and just, I mean, there are other things I'll mention, but, but go ahead and talk to me a little bit about how it starts in that way. This is from a cinematic. I can't remember the name of the character, but he's kind of a creepy dude. Kind okay, of uh, yeah. think of somebody who abuses people and just kind of like a slithery character. Yeah. So that that shiftiness was on purpose because it's okay. like the ambiguity was more of like um, this was a contrast in a scene where um, there was a female character who was kind of trapped by him in a situation, and the the dialogue that she was. Uh, you know, her reactions were basically almost like, you know, when you have a, uh, if there's a child who's in a situation where they're uncomfortable, but they don't know how to actually express themselves under duress. Mm -hmm. And everybody else knows as a watcher what's going on. Something's just not right. This is not good. That's what I was trying to convey at the beginning of this piece was this, um, you know, slithery dude. Um, (laughs) And just you can't really trust him uh ultimately um and then i don't know if you heard it, there's bandonion in there actually as well so it's interesting right at around the 13 second mark okay. there's this kind of and it's the band I, uh, drew plays bandonion and some bass clarinet and other stuff and oh, so i got cool. him to just hold certain trace notes and he would did this like pulsing vibrato thing on it with a held note which was great that synth the the evangelist yes kind of yes pulsing stuff too and i tried to marry those both so that you had the synthetic sound but you also had an organic generative mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. instrument that did that um and then that piece basically as it builds the one minute mark i start bringing in mandolin and it's starting to basically get this pulse because basically we have yeah. the creepy start to this we have the creepy <laughs> start to the cinematic yeah then and then you can see the wheel starting to turn in the character's head of like, what's he going to do? How is he going to figure things out? And so the mandolin, I started to have this pulse, which is basically a tight cluster of notes that were dissonant with each other. Mm-hmm. But they were kind of just this pulsing, like things he's ticking away, like how is he going to take advantage of the situation and build, build, build. At the same time, Aloy and I believe Seiko was in that uh, scene as well, they're also devising, how are we going to help this girl in, under duress? And 
basically take care yeah. of the situation. Um, and then it crests basically at the point where they take action, which was at the okay. right around minute 30, uh, minute 26 or something. You could okay. be like, Aloy and Saker, like, we got to take action. You're yeah. out of here and stuff. So. talked about Titan's Wake for a half a second earlier, but uh, there is this one part, I think, and I thought about bringing this up, but we were talking about Blair and I wanted to keep talking about Blair. So, uh, <laughs> so there's this part um, right around 120 where you do this, she's ascending, 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 and she goes up to the seven and you kind of like have her hang out on the seven just a little bit extra long. And so it creates this really great dissonance. And I just, I loved it. It's like a suspension that in the Baroque era you would have gotten thrown out of school for kind of thing. But it was just absolutely, absolutely lovely because because you can tell there's multiple, she's being molted, right? So there's mm-hmm. there's more of her in there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and some of her does go all the way up to tonic, but this other... Oh, I just love every single time I heard that. I would be like, oop, make a note of that. Oh, I already did. Oop, make a note of that. Oh, I already did. You know, it was like that kind of thing. So the one thing that I, I think, uh, people underestimate the people. All of, I think a lot of composers and artists underestimate the power of, let's call it an ison, like a tonic, like like the 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 notion that you have a root, a plumb line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, people do this all the time. Uh, you have some device in your house that is running and has a motor or is on electrical and you have a, a hum that's at a bass note. And then you, you have a melodic line that you kind of just hum and sing along and you can kind of like pivot right close to it and it's dissonant. Mm-hmm. You can go right above it and then become consonant. And yeah. Um, one thing that in this case, the reason that it works really well is a couple of things. One is Melissa's got a super pure voice. Yeah. So when she hits a note, even if, she, if, even if she's rubbing for a certain period of time and then moves up, you still have the decay off these, like, I think that was a 10 second delay. I think uh, oh, like a reverb, like okay. you have a lot of space on this. So there's yeah. a lot of like, um, a lot of the, um, there were multiple parts in there, but in addition to that, you also have the natural decay of, yeah. you know, like in the country of Georgia where they would sing in the mountains with like a 10 or 15 second reverberant time, you could basically kind of sing, harmonize to your own, you know, your original notes. And it's the same thing in this case, uh, which I think added to the, added to the feeling of it being more larger than life and more epic in, in kind Uh of, because you literally are projecting those clusters of notes, including the tonic and whatever else are going out. And then you're able to kind of surf and, you know, yep. bend up, bend down, but you, you still have that plumb. It's kind of like when you 
if you have a stable fifth, right? If you have whatever, uh, any fifth, a yeah. tonic and fifth above, doesn't matter what you do up top. You got the stability of the fifth on the bottom the whole time. Yeah. Take away the fifth and it's just a tonic. Um, to, in my ear, it just feels more like there's still stability there, but mm -hmm. it just means that now what was super stable over a couple of octaves with like, and the overtones of the fifth mm -hmm. is now collapsed to just to the tonic. So you just have this baseline of a really kind of like their motor that's humming. Mm -hmm. And then now that opens up all the, all the frequency spectrum from that tonic upwards for you to explore microtones, whole tones, half tones, like whatever you want. There's a whole, there's a lot of space in between notes. So even, even like a, a second is way wider mm -hmm than it would be if you had the fifth there because the way that you hear sure, it sure there's just a lot more room even like say melissa went from a, a you can almost go down slightly sharper than you were before and there's still room mm -hmm. for it to sit okay you know yeah so there's that one bit which is like the notion of space that you get from um the kind of spaces that you place your sound within to mm -hmm. project mm -hmm. but then on top of that is um when you have um you know, um, when you have, uh, I don't know, say you did a, uh, a song and you had a verse, chorus, verse, if you just stayed on the tonic the whole time, but changed your chords on top, you know, the over two, three minutes and you just held it, held the tonic all the way through, but changed all the inner voicing and the chords on top, you, you are building so much tension, so much tension the whole time that when you release it, it's just glorious, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter if you like the chord or you don't like the chord. You just really feel a real sense of release and stuff. Um, whereas when you're shifting stuff all the time, you don't have, you just, you don't get that same sense of like um, expectation that you've built up and you can't really capitalize off of landing. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I would say those kind of cues are, this was the one that I mentioned with Blair holding that note all the way through. Yep. Right. Yep. So we had space because he was holding one single note, the tonic Just the, the tonic. whole time. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, cool. But it works like it works for whatever reason, yeah. uh, because you're, I can stack what I could have even gone way more dissonant with like the cording on top and it still would have worked at the end of the day because it comes full circle to the tonic at the end. We'll come back to Ruins Rise in a minute. Um, but the idea of home, uh, you know, this is about as warm as it gets, the sound from this. And I remember you've talked before about how, and I, I, don't, I don't know if you still do this or not, but having a visualizer to see on the color spectrum the music. Oh, and yeah, this is, mother's, this is mother's womb blue, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so talk to me about this. It's absolutely beautiful. The the flute, oh, the the vocal duet, Blair, the guitar. It's it's just gorgeous, gorgeous track. Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you. Um, 
um, how do I express this? Um, I mean, it was a delicate scene, first of all. Um, so not, not just the content of the scene, but the actual, like, literally the actors when they were, like, Seika's actor and Aloy's actor when they were, it was like, they were, like, whispering. Like, it was, like, mm. very quiet. So my, um, I, I had to literally record and play everything very delicately and still find range within that, right? It's kind of like, imagine the only dynamic range you have is triple pianissimo and double pianissimo. And within that, you have to create a lot of range for where you can go. Yeah. Of course, at one point you had to, you get to go to mezzo forte at one point, but pretty much you stay there the whole time. Yeah. So, so my, um, it was a very similar thing. Like I put up the scene, I drop tune, I, I, I drop tune the guitar, uh, to some open tuning so that I could basically, and I performed and sang it the first take, basically same thing. Wow. I just came out naturally, which I find usually is the most, you do, ha I do have to tweak it, but usually I find that is the most immediate, um, emotional response to a scene like that, um, mm -hmm. is just to feel where things are going. And it also, because I'm literally in lockstep with what the actors are saying on screen, and I'm looking at their, I'm looking at the movement on scene, the mise en scène, camera angle, and so I, I can respond dynamically to, um, to to what they are saying and how they act in real time, um, which is really important for a, a scene like this because um, it's like four minutes long. You know, it has multi, it has a couple of endings and alt endings because there's choice involved based on the player and what what they want to do. Mm -hmm. But if I were to take this scene and score it in sections, like I'm going to do the first twenty seconds, and then I'm going to get until I'm happy, and then I'm going to score the next section. You you don't get I don't want to I don't know if I use the right term, but like you don't get to live through that as one continuous experience. Yes. And there is something to be said, like when you're a gamer and you play it for the first time or you're a, you're watching a scene for the first time, you only get to live that lived experience once, like that like portion right. of time mm -hmm. once. And so um so I I really like I try to protect that as much as I can the first time I engage with it. Mm -hmm. Um and then also like I I find that it sets the it sets the um, the guardrails for for how wide I can take my dynamic range. How like even even like going from like um um da 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 um da 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 even knowing like okay I'm gonna change it from a da da to a da 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 instead it depends on the pitch center of Aloy's voice. And Seika's voice oh, when they were talking. Sure. Yeah. Right? Competing because frequencies, right? You competing frequencies, yeah. but also mm -hmm. like they're saying stuff really quiet and I and they're very emotional. And they're like, <laughs> I felt this way. And it's like, it's literally right in the range of like the low flute and the cello and other stuff. So then so I have to basically contour melodies. So it'd be kind of like if you take a chord, like a triad of mm -hmm. say C major, and I'm like, okay, well, in in third or second inversion or whatever of that chord, it's too close. So then I have to go and try first or try, yeah. you know, 
And you just kind of find where are those sweet spots where you can, there are lanes that you can stick in. You can't, you can kind of switch lanes, but you have to choose when you switch lane. And usually it's like after they deliver the line or when you change an instrument, or if you want to accentuate like a line and, and prep because they're going to pivot to some other emotional beat that they're going to hit. Mm-hmm. Then, then you key off of that and then you, and you do it. But in this case, it's pretty much talking all the way through the whole scene. So um, it meant taking them on an emotional journey musically and harmonically from beginning to end. And also not giving away the not giving away the 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 the, the you know, pinnacle moments of the scene as well too, right? You're, right. You have to. You can't give away and telegraph too much before stuff happens, right? Yeah, you gotta let um, them do it, right? Let them do it, right? Yep. Um, yeah. But yeah. it was special. It was, a, it was very. This is the kind of scene that Julie is just just amazing at because. Um, you know, and this was remote, right? So I sang all the parts and okay. and and then she would kind of interpret my parts uh, mm-hmm. and then we did a bit of back and forth um to find the right timing um because once you looked at the whole four minutes together you start to get a sense of like oh there's too much singing in here we need to get rid of these parts to, cr- to create enough space so that when we do bring your voice back it's warranted there's a yeah. reason for it and it makes yeah. sense um yeah. so that just requires some back and forth uh, also using her intuition also as a woman like i obviously i'm not aloy i'm not a woman so i don't know there's a different um you know we talk about eq curves in audio or music there's an emotional curve which is different too right like yeah for sure you respond differently in different contexts and so Mm -hmm. it's a bit of triangulation there where i wrote what i felt was um right for the scene in terms of like love and just kind of the timeless um well, love and its timelessness, right? And it's, and it's, <laughs> yeah. um, and so I wrote from that place of like, okay, um, how can I be as authentic to a, a real deep uh, well of love in somebody and, and, and mirror, mirror the depth that love has, right? Yeah. And all its, in all its complexities and its nuance, but ultimately it's just like, it's a, um, that's what I wrote from. And then, and then Julie came in and kind of, made it her own and kind of helped helped form it you know i had the clay i did the pot but she came in and helped kind of like really smoothen up the edges and and stuff I just loved this track so much. Right. If, I, if I had to pick a, a favorite, I might pick this just because the percussion is so reckless in like a, um, not in a rhythmic way, but just 
uh, it's just very aggressive and kind of outbursty, and I really loved that. Um, and just the high strings is hard anger in here as well, maybe. And um, just, this one had yeah. right off the top. It was basically we did. Um, it was basically we had a bunch of strings that were doing kind of these glissy harmonics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and the percussion is very. Um, um, it's kind of like. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, um, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, just any number of kind of outbursty emotions. Yeah. And it's also has a very, um, um, it almost has like a battle tribal feel to it as well, yeah. right? Because it's um, like a, almost like a call to arms, mm-hmm. I guess, in some ways, mm-hmm. um, or preparing, preparing for the worst, but basically, but it's also very visceral, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, which is a very interesting thing, because this one also has a tonic, tonic that's held for okay. a long time, drone. Um, and so the percussion basically is there to be like, it's almost like, um, uh, you know, it's like what you would feel in your body as you're putting on your gear for war or for yes. some, right? Yes. Um, yes. That's, I don't know, that's the vibe that I, I got, which is kind of like, um, yeah, it's very, it's, it's not that it's unpredictable, it's that it's... Um, it's very like, it's getting ready to strike the coil, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's that moment, it's kind of like a Tesla coil, actually. It's like, you don't know what it's going to zap, yeah. but it's like, it's very like, it's ready to like, you know, yeah. zap, hit hard basically at any moment. Yeah. And, and also the play with major and minor third too, right? You've got them both in there, which is really cool, especially when you've got tonic establishing tonic. Um, so I, I liked that too. It is also closer in many ways to, um, you know, um, you know, I think of like uh, more melismatic kind of ancient scales, mm-hmm. um, Indian scales or uh, Arabic scales or other things which are like um, you don't need harmony. Right. You just ha- you have a, you have a melody and you have an mm-hmm. ison, right? You have like a, mm-hmm. a tonic, but even the ison can change. It's more modal, I guess, but not mm-hmm. Western modal. It's more of a uh, like I said, more ancient, I guess, mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels a bit more primal that way too. Um, yeah. In some ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. That is your favorite one. That's hilarious. Yeah, it surprised me too. I mean, I 
I might say something different tomorrow, but I just got the biggest kick out of that one. I just, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think because initially I was so surprised by the first outburst of percussion and I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then as they happen and they're just different, you know, they're different and yeah, I, I really loved that. Um, and I love the I love the transitions from minor to major, right? Like yeah, when you have that, when you have a consistent tonic all the way through, um, you can just change things up to make it interesting. But they're they're they don't stray so far away from because you have a solid root, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but it's shifty, which is yeah. nice to work with as well. What are some of the Easter eggs, so to speak, uh, or what what are some of your uh, moments that you'd like to highlight that I that I maybe didn't catch or something? I, I'm really proud of this one. Like I think I felt like because I I took the time to get to know the game in the world of Aloy and Forbidden West and mm -hmm. and having studied Zero Dawn, I felt like this one um, it was a lot of fun to just be like, okay, well, how can not completely reinvent, reinvented, but like, how can we expand this world? And particularly the, the um, particularly those tracks that you're talking about with Melissa, and then with Julie with the idea of home. Like, I felt like there was because it was staged battle with the Horus creature, mm -hmm. and we were doing um, just exploring sounds we hadn't explored. Like, I could. I love writing very dense music and then paring it down. And most game, mo like my own personal stuff, like Bright Sanus or other projects and stuff, people get to hear a lot of the complexity that I can do. Mm -hmm. But it's still, it's still, uh, it's still um, um, pleasurable to the ear. Like mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't create a distance between you as a listener and uh, and as the person, right. you know, creating the music. Um, and I, I really enjoyed being able to explore a lot more depth of texture and harmony and, and melody. Not that I didn't do that in Forbidden West, but it felt like this was a more concentrated push where it was like, okay, there's a couple of key melodies that are here. There's a couple of key sounds that are very like um, specific to Burning Shores. And it felt like it could be very, um, I could go very big and wide with something like Titan's Wake, right? Yeah. And and then pair it down to something very, very intimate and tight with just a single guitar and a voice, you know, mm. with and so that range, um that range was really a lot of fun to work with because at its at its core, it's still telling a, a simple narrative, a simple story, you know? There's yes. still a hero or a heroine and she's still on a journey and the music is there to uh reflect that and be kind of the emotional friend during that journey um and that that was great because the, the the burning shores theme was a canon that could just build and build and just felt good yeah. felt good over but then going to stuff like the you know some of the other battle tracks things that were more slithery shifty that kind of stuff 
it, it reminded us that like, hey, the world isn't all lovely triads and happy-go-lucky stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's stuff that is has shades of there's lots of shades of gray and lots of darkness here. Um, and then when you get through that all, the story comes back to this is a human. We're all humans. Love is the most important thing. Focus on the barest, focus on the essentials and everything else is just a nice to have, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was nice mm-hmm. mu- musically to be able to, to explore that range from like, um, makes you feel good, makes you feel uneasy. And then at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I can survive on just this breadcrumb. Mm-hmm. That's enough for me to, to go on. Yeah. And so, so that kind of made that whole experience very enjoyable from beginning to end. It was just a really, you know, I knew the world that I was writing for and I could just get down to like writing something that, that felt really good. beautiful as always it's just so much fun to hear your new stuff so i loved it it was it was a pleasure to to listen to awesome i appreciate that emily very much Thank you for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Alexa, see a playlist, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of my chat with Alexa on the Level with Emily YouTube channel. And again, we're close to monetization there. So if you could check out our content, we'd be uh, really happy about that. It could help us out. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hello. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.